Cool, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us. Welcome to the first uh, Crypto Curry Live, um, where we've got the Crypto Curry Club teamed up with uh, guest host Ryan Hanley, who was MD of Token Market. We're speaking with crypto's uh, trailblazers and what's happening in the industry without sales pitches, edits, or and lots of answers from industry leaders. And today we've got Bobby Ong here, who's one of the co-founders of CoinGecko, talking about data volumes in exchanges and what's happening with trends in crypto around the world. So Bobby, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Hey, we're happy to be able to join you guys here. Cool. Thank you. Bobby, delighted to have you on for the first ever Crypto Curry Live. I think we've hopefully gone through enough briefing controls through Zoom and what have you. As Erica lends to you know, the whole nature of this, we, we just want to be as transparent as possible, get you off your pre-prepared sales sheet, ask some tough questions, some nice ones, uh, and really just to, to find out a little bit more about you know, your particular insight into the market, which being one of the founders of CoinGecko is pretty vast. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, just ask all your questions. I'm ready for them. And if any of you have questions, I mean, very happy to have you guys join here and just ask them in the Q&A or the chat group and, and happy to answer them. I think one of the good ones to always start with is I'd love to hear in your own words um, what CoinGecko is about and also maybe a little bit about your origin story as well because you guys have been going, you know, six years, which is, I mean, hundreds of years in kind of crypto years. So it'd be great to, to hear a little bit more about how you came about, what your vision was and what have you and how you got started. Yeah, so a bit about myself. So I, I, I'm based in Malaysia right now, to be exact, 11 p.m. over here. Uh, I, I, I went to school in Malaysia and then Singapore for A-levels. And then I did my uni in uh, UCL, I did economics in UCL, and I came back to Malaysia. Graduated back in 2012, learning how to program in 2013. And sometime I was learning to program, I spent a lot of time in crypto forums and all these guys were talking about this new magic internet money back then. It got me really curious because... None of my professors in UCL spoke about Bitcoin back then. So I thought things didn't, fit, didn't, didn't seem to right. Like either these programmers were crazy talking about this new magic internet money or my professors in UCL were outdated because they didn't know what Bitcoin was back in 2013, 2012. Uh, 2012 to be exact. So I read the white paper. Just give it a go. Seems logical. Bought my first Bitcoin from some random local Bitcoin seller from the UK. Just uh, <laughs> sent some money to a random guy. Uh, got the Bitcoin, moved it to my wallet. I was like, that's when I realized that this is actually real. This is, there's a lot of potential to it. And I discovered altcoins, uh, alternative cryptocurrencies. Uh, there's Litecoin um, and a few other coins back then, Peercoin. I was trading some and then and I kind of stumbled upon the BitShares white paper, uh, which kind of talked about smart contracts in the early days before Ethereum was around. So it's basically smart contracts on blockchains and, and I thought it was interesting. And so we... Back then, websites in the crypto space was really badly designed. Uh, it reminded us of websites from the GeoCities days, uh, really badly designed. So we thought like we could do a better job. We could design things. Uh, we wanted extra data in the space. We wanted more development data, social media data. And there was no one doing all these things. So we went out and tracked all this data, get the price, get the GitHub metrics, social media metrics from Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, and put them all together onto CoinGecko. And at the start, there was only 20, 30 coins on CoinGecko. And over the years, it sort of added more and more. And, and I think six years later, time just flies and we have over 7,000 tokens on CoinGecko now. And we track this from over 400 exchanges. Back when I started, like, we didn't expect that there would be so many coins six years. I, I didn't, we didn't think that far. We didn't think about moving the crypto space six years from now. I mean, time just fly by. And then uh, if you ask me how I see the future in, in crypto, like, 
I think anything and everything that can be tokenized will be tokenized. So in a sense, we are still really in the early days. 7,000 tokens might sound like a lot of tokens, but if you think that anything of value can be tokenized, we'll be talking about hundreds of thousands, millions of tokens. And, and essentially what we're doing right now at CoinGecko is building an infrastructure to support this future where there'll be millions of tokens, football clubs, clubs, loyalty club. There'll be a lot of points, loyalty points to be on the crypto chain, on, on the blockchain. Uh, people will be issuing personal tokens and all these things will be represented on the blockchain. And, and we just want to have a way to track all this data and, and show it to people in the world, I would say. And, and just in, in terms of, sort of some of those numbers, like how kind of vast is... CoinGecko, just in terms of sort of numbers, in terms of views, how many views are you seeing? And also, where do you think we are in terms of kind of the addressable sort of market as well? You know, how much yeah. of the population do you think are genuinely kind of tracking these things at the moment? Yeah, so the market is very volatile. If you ask me how is CoinGecko doing at this point in time, as of May 2020, I would say, we are doing around like 15 million monthly page views or so from around like 1 million unique users on a monthly basis. They visit a few times uh, on a daily, weekly basis, depending on people. This number has been pretty much stable for the past year or so after the, the ICO boom finished sometime in late, early 2018. But if you ask me during the ICO boom period, like back in 20, late 2017, early 2018, well, we were doing up to 100 million page views per month. So that was a huge market back then. It was one, I don't know, once in a long time, I would say. And then it sort of crashed. If you ask me how's the space at this point in time, is there weren't, there's no new users coming to the space. From 2014, so back in 2014, we were doing about 1 million page views a month. And then we exploded and hit 100 million. It was basically 100x growth in 2017, 2018 doing 100 million pictures a month and now we're about 15 million per month if you ask me like there, there, there was a huge growth in new users back in 2017 2018 and then now everyone's just sort of trying to win users from existing players so like you see a lot of new exchanges coming up but they all are essentially trying to eat up users from the other exchanges and that's a very competitive market to win because it's kind of hard to compete against the other exchanges if you ask me the time the, the total addressable market like I think there's only about 1% of people who are into crypto at this point in time. Maybe a lot more I've heard about crypto, but if you ask people if they actually own Bitcoin, maybe only 1% of people have Bitcoin. So we are still really early days in, in, in this space. And, and if this market grows and things grow bigger, like we are talking about exponentially large, uh, larger market for everyone in the space in the years to come. I mean, we, we, we saw the same thing at token market where you know, everything was very price-driven. So as Bitcoin obviously went on that huge big peak, we had this kind of exponential number of people that went up and it, and it very much correlated on, on the way back down as well. Now, obviously everyone, it's very hard to get away from the price-driven conversation, especially with you guys as well, right? It's all about price, it's all about volume. price, yeah. You know, it's all driven around that. Do you think that's going to be the thing that drives the next wave of interest or do yeah. you think something else might come about? Yeah, I definitely think price is the main driver uh, for the new retail users coming in. Everyone was just talking about price back in 20, 2017. And then it doesn't matter what coin you buy, everything just went up in price. It's just like, just take your money, throw it into any coin and you make money. It was quite brainless. We think, I mean, we were very conservative because I came from the early days and, and when Bitcoin hit $1,000, like I felt really stupid for buying Bitcoin when it was $1,000. I mean, hindsight, I mean, it's 2020. I mean, because it went down to around $300 or so for, for like two or three years, I felt really dumb for buying, for paying $1,000 buying Bitcoin. But I mean, we know now that like $1,000 is cheap, of course, but it's the same. So there's a lot of users thinking like uh, Bitcoin hitting $20,000. Uh, 
and none of these users are coming back in and no one's talk no one news media is like mainstream media is talking about bitcoin the only time that they will start talking about bitcoin again is when bitcoin starts hitting twenty thousand dollars hitting its all-time high again that's when people start talking about it because we saw last year like mid late last year bitcoin hit fourteen thousand dollars if you think about the grand scale of thing yeah fourteen thousand dollars is pretty high price for bitcoin relatively speaking like but no one's really talking about it. It was as if like, yeah, it's kind of like the Dow, Dow year last year that wasn't very, very great. But 14,000 is pretty high relative to one year ago. So yeah, I would say it would be definitely price driven. Uh, it might be interesting to see more mainstream companies uh, adopting blockchain technology. For example, Reddit recently introduced uh, loyalty tokens on the, on the cryptocurrency and the Fortnite Red subreddit. So they had introduced uh, Bricks and Moon. So... A lot of Reddit users are already crypto users, but but you can imagine like if a big game like Fortnite introduced a, a token on their game or some of the companies like for example Ryanair for example start introducing a, a token on the chain like loyalty points on on chain for example uh, that might be interesting. Uh, I mean the biggest ex airline carrier in Malaysia Air Asia wanted to do that, but I don't know what's what's happening to the plan. But yeah, you can imagine like large companies wants to to who find a way to tokenize or, or put some value on the chain uh, that may introduce new users to the to crypto, I would say. So it's funny, we talked to AirAsia around that and it, it was about a month before Malaysia basically banned all crypto. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what happened. They were kind of very interested to go, great, we've you know seen these amazing kind of payment things happen within Malaysia yeah. um, and Singapore. We have, I think it's what, 80 million users, something like that, AirAsia? Yeah. yeah. Huge user base. Go on. Yeah, but things things have pretty much changed in Malaysia. Like they they've given out licenses to crypto exchanges. They are talking about IEO regulations as well. So I mean, I I almost feels that regulators in Asia are moving pretty much quickly and and putting in place uh, rules uh, on things that you can or you cannot do. Different reg- different jurisdictions have things on 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 how strict things are. For example, exchanges in Malaysia can only trade three tokens over here, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP. Other tokens require a whitelisting process similar to how the Japanese exchanges do it. It's kind of good for consumer protection, but kind of very slow for innovation because it's pretty much impossible to get any new tokens whitelisted unless you go through a very lengthy process with the regulators. On, on that note, I mean, if you look on CoinMarketCap at the moment, there's 5,500 yeah. coins, yeah. which has just gone up so much. What do you think will happen to, to those, to the majority of those? Will they... Will they all be gone? Will there be yeah. any more? Yeah, so we track over 7,000 coins on CoinGecko. We have like a bigger breadth of coins. Almost any coin that you can think of will be on CoinGecko. Most of these coins will die off, obviously. They just will die a natural death through low liquidity and low volume. But it also means that it's just there's a lot of coins that we created that, that, that especially with Ethereum and Uniswap these days where before this, like exchanges need to have order books to have any sort of trading that can be that, that can be conducted. But I think Uniswap sort of changed things in the sense that they've introduced this uh, liquidity-based automated market maker mechanism where the price is sort of determined using a bonding curve where it's automatically set. So even though there is very low li- demand as liquidity, there's very little supply to sell. There's some supply on the sale, but if there's very little demand, the price will be lower. If there's more demand, the price will go up naturally on the bonding curve. I think that will allow a lot of people to start issuing their tokens because they can easily set a market through this automatic market, me- market maker mechanism on Uniswap. So 
anyone can like for example right if you want to issue a token representing like one hour of your consulting time you can put it up create a token ryan and put it on uniswap <laughs> yeah ryan well, well ryan worked with the fca for about 18 months ryan won't be doing that anytime uh, anytime soon i'm afraid <laughs> after that uh, harrowing experience um i'd love to yeah wonderful don't know how much i'd get for it these days bobby but uh. <laughs> so on, on that note bobby it, all, all, all of the coins yeah looking at exchanges how much comes down to them to be specific about what coins they accept and looking at their data mm-hmm. there's been just going on to exchanges there's been more than a few accusations about wash trading and uh, yeah. manipulated numbers from exchanges what what needs to happen what do you see with happening with exchanges with needing to be let's say uh, more selective with some of the mm. coins that are are listed and, and their data in general i think i think for centralized exchanges a lot of them i don't know maybe greedy greedy is the right word to use for exchanges they because they charge a listing fee for for any token that's listed on the exchange so mm-hmm. to them the incentive is to sort of close one eye or on on or get get a lawyer that can uh, or get registered some in some jurisdiction to get this token certified that it's a utility token mm-hmm. so that they can allow it to trade on the exchange because then they get paid from this from this uh, listing, from these token teams, and these listing fees are pretty high. It's not like it's not like ten dollar, hundred dollars, up to half a million, one million dollars for for listing fees. So they have a very strong incentive from the exchanges to to get these tokens classified as a utility so that they can trade these tokens. And and in terms of decentralized exchanges, I guess that's a different story. Like they don't really charge a lot. Some of them they don't really have control on what tokens can be listed there. So that's a different story. But in terms of specifically for centralized exchanges, yeah, they, there's a lot of these coins that are listed. And a lot of incentive to by these internal players to to get this listed. And also, a lot of these exchanges, some of the volumes that they put out, we all know by now. There's wash trading is very rampant in a lot of these exchanges because they are not regulated. And a lot of these guys, they just want to appear that they have very uh, liquid market in the space. And they the only way in a traditional market, higher volume means that there's there's more liquidity in the space. But in the crypto market, it's not. It's not. It's, it's it's decentralized. It's not, it's not regulated anywhere. Anybody can sort of whatever data that they want. So 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 yeah, a lot of these guys are faking their volume so that they appear higher on the charts on CoinGecko, for example. But we know by now, after in twenty nineteen, that a lot of this data that they pull out is sort of fake. We can't trust them. I, I like to go with this mantra: anything that can be manipulated, any metric that can be manipulated, will be manipulated by these exchanges. So volume is just one metric that is very easily manipulated by them and it's totally used and bastardized by these exchanges that it comes to a state that if this exchange is not regulated by any uh, securities commission or any regulator anywhere in the world, it's really hard to trust any of this data, I would say. We come to a stage where we at CoinGecko say that, look, I don't trust any of this uh, trading volume data that to really sort exchanges on this on CoinGecko because all these exchanges that appear at the top for Bitcoin, for Ethereum and for the top exchanges by volume, it all appear like some really shitty exchanges that we don't know where they're from. So we said we came up with this algorithm called the trust score, where instead of looking at, at volume, we look at a bunch of other metrics like Audible, uh, web traffic estimates, API quality, and I put them all together to sort of get a better idea of which exchange have like sort of, sort of real liquidity and, and real volume in the space. And at this point in time, it's, it's okay, but it's a cat and mouse game because once the exchanges know that they're looking at web traffic estimates and they look at a bunch of audible data, they, they start padding up this, this data to, to appear that they are doing good on these metrics as well. It's almost a bit comparable to how people game search engine optimization. 
So when Google change, you know, how they look at things and everyone then obviously (laughs) goes back to the drawing board and uh, bumps up various links and what have you. I'm just wondering how much of the the kind of the verification you guys are doing from digital feeds and how much you're actually doing more personally, more manually. So is is there like a team of, say, adjudicators at CoinGecko who will look at certain data streams and then take more of a kind of, let's say, um, offline type view on the validity of the data? Yeah, so so I think I guess the initial setup is sort of manual to some extent. So there's a team that looks into all these things, and then after that, the data feed will come in and sort of is automated to some extent, to more to a large extent, I would say. Yeah, there are a lot of things sort of done that way. I guess for API quality, you need someone to manually go in and check all these things, and then after that, like the volume, we do we use, we use some sort of a benchmark among some of these exchanges, which we believe is more reputable. We use the Bitwise Ten Ray Volume Exchange to sort of determine these uh, sort of exchanges that, that that sort of legit have legit volumes and then we sort of compare each exchange against these benchmark 10 exchanges and compare so that's kind of sort of done automatically the similar web traffic estimates which we use that's done manually someone's going in to get all the data from similar web every month to input onto the coin system to track things up yeah that's that's sort of the way i would say are there any exchanges you would trust yeah i mean i would say that if the exchange is regulated in the US, for example, that's probably one of the or one of these big EU countries. Like that's probably a good 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 exchange to trust. Uh, the other one would be another indicator is exchanges age. If one of the older exchanges from the early days, for example, Bitfinex, Kraken, Coinbase, like they've been around for like ages since 2013 or so. Like yeah, these are probably one of the guys to trust. We know by now, like Binance is the biggest exchange by liquidity. So if you guys are looking for the most liquidity, I guess Binance. Uh, would you trust Binance's liquidity figures? Yeah, I mean, we don't know how much that they are faking their volume. They say they're not faking, but maybe in the early days they are. But to be honest, it's, it's really hard to tell. Like, but I mean, by now, by all metrics imaginable, like I would say that Binance is still one of the biggest, it's probably one of the biggest exchange now. I mean, from our trust score ranking, like they, they seem to be doing pretty well and, and they have the best scores on CoinGecko, uh, whether we like it or not. To so, segue, you've brought up Binance. So obviously in this space, there's you know this tremendous bit of news that came out a couple of months ago with you know yeah. one of your biggest competitors being acquired, which is a little bit unusual. If you look to regulated markets, you, you probably wouldn't have the largest exchange going and buying the largest you know transparent data provider within the industry without without a few questions. What, what's your take on uh, on that situation? How, how neutral do you think CMC will be going forward? <laughs> Obviously, they no longer will be neutral, right? It's no longer <laughs> independent. Like if you like, you can't. Was it? Rank... Was it ever neutral? First question. Was it ever neutral? Yeah, or I mean, there were payments being made behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there's no way that that coin market cap can stay independent and neutral after this. Like, I mean, everything's gonna. It's like a. It's like a shoe fest for Binance, right? Like everyone's gonna. Coin market cap's gonna make like Binance look good on every metric that they put out. I think. I think it's really imp- important. Like, I mean, as you said, Ryan, like that's. To be honest, like I was pretty surprised that that Binance announced the acquisition. Like as you said, like it's quite rare for a largest exchange to own the largest aggregator, largest data data company in the space. Doesn't make much sense. Uh, but but I guess from a PNL point of view, from Binance, it makes sense because they they are looking at Coin Market Cap as a way to acquire new customers. Definitely makes sense for Binance. And and Coin Market Cap is by is is the largest crypto website in the world in terms of web traffic. Binance is the second largest crypto website. And Binance, as you know, CZ wants to be number one for everything. And the, num- the one thing that he's not number one at this point in time is the largest web asset, web property, and, and CoinMarketCap has that. 
So, so he definitely wants to, he wants, he, he, he basically wants to be number one in every single crypto niche. So you see him expanding into, he was number one in the spot market. He expanded into the derivatives market and then he's now doing a mining pool and a bunch of other things. But there's no way that CoinMarketCap would be independent. How much, I think, I think, how much value do you think CZ got from that 400 million price tag? And also, how much do you think that is, of that is cash? And how much do you reckon is equity? I think I think not much in cash. It's mostly a percentage in cash and cash in and mostly BNB. I would say which CZ calls as cash. The bulk of which would be in in Binance.com equity, Binance equity. I would say, uh, which is just paper value, right? So I guess they recruit that over a long period of time. I mean, as you can see, like Binance is pretty quick to change things around. They are. It took them six weeks before they make Binance the number one ranked exchange on on CMC. Yeah. Yeah, and then he go around calling that calling CMC going to be independent, and then like then CZ going around Twitter, Twitter asking people for 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 feedback on what should be done on on CMC, and then like yeah. okay, surprise, surprise, obviously what's going to happen is Binance getting ranked number one. Yeah, I think I think that's it's very important to have uh, data integrity in the space, uh, data transparency. You need a, you need a player that is independent to really track all this data to do things in a, in a transparent manner without any biasness in the space, I would say. But when you have an exchange like owning you, uh, lucky or not, you have to please your father right, or your boss, I would say. Uh, you can't do things that, that they, won't, mm-hmm. they won't be happy about. Right. Capital coin, which some people claim is backed one-on-one by the US dollars. And then as, as you mm-hmm. read there, their literature progressive, progressively changes or was backed one-on-one by the US dollar. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there have been arguments that the printing of Tether has a, a relation on the price of Bitcoin, i.e. that yeah. one is used to buy up the other. Where do you stand with that? Have you seen any any data or any information around that? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk about whenever there's a lot of new Tether being printed, Bitcoin price seem to move up at the same time. I think some researchers tried doing some research on that. There may be some correlation, but I think the, I think some Maybe research I've read some research. Very, a lot of very regular repeated coincidences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, like I, I was a skeptic of Tether for a very long time. I wouldn't want to hold any Tether for the longest period of time. And then I sort of maybe capitulated recently and started holding Tether recently. Mainly because if you look at a stablecoin market, like Tether is the single largest stablecoin uh, in terms of dominance. It has over 80, 85% dominance uh, based on the report that we put out in Q1. But it was significantly high. It was 100% at one point and it's like 95% or so. And then like there was no other stablecoin in the market before Tether until USDC came out, USD coin. Then you have the regulated stablecoins like Paxos, TUSD, USDC. Before, before that, there, it's just impossible to have any stablecoin. And traders just want to trade with a stablecoin because they were going to nominate their PNL in terms of uh, USDs. So I, I always thought that Tether was the single largest uh, risk in the crypto market. And I thought it would be the, 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 the collapse of Tether would be the, the reason the crypto market crashed back in 2017, 2018. But it didn't collapse. In fact, it just grew bigger and bigger. Maybe it is still the single biggest uh, risk in crypto market. Risk in the sense that if Tether collapsed these days, there's alternatives in the space. Like if it collapsed like two years ago, there was no alternative stablecoin in the space. So in a sense, there is alternative now. So, but yeah, you're right that there is no, there's no, we don't know if the money is really held in some bank account or some, or, or someone, someone just creating it out in there. What do you see as the biggest risk to crypto now? 
the biggest risk? Risk to crypto. In, in terms of short term, like I always thought that Tether is the biggest, one of the biggest risks, but it seems to be going quite well. But I think regulation is probably another one. I think, I think it would be important to see how things progress. It seems to be progressing quite well in the sense that many jurisdictions are regulating crypto, but maybe we can always turn, turn something for the bad. I think, I, think, I think people sort of underestimate like, what will China do because if China cracks down and really removes all trading for crypto, I mean, it's sort of not allowed really, but it's still tolerated to a large extent. And, and the crypto market is very much driven by the Chinese, Chinese market. And if, if the Chinese government cracks down like rap, massively on all crypto activities, then I think there will be a fall in value across the board, I would say. Yeah. Cool. Now, we've got a number of questions from uh, attendees. So, um... Just before we go into those, okay. Erica, we have those, those big three questions that we want to ask everyone. Okay. <laughs> So, um, Bobby, because you obviously have this amazing bird's eye view over the market, you've been in the market since 2014, and you're obviously super data-driven, probably more than anyone on this call. What's grabbing your attention at the moment? You know, what, what's something that you're really finding interesting over the last, say, three to six months that you think is going to have a big effect on the market? Yeah, so I think, I think there's a lot of interesting things that's happening in the Ethereum, Ethereum ecosystem. Particularly interesting is the DeFi space. I've seen a lot, of, a lot of interesting things happening there. So, I mean, sort of replicating a lot of, of the financial financial services, financial activities that we are doing in the traditional world, but on a blockchain, right? So it allows for, I mean, it creates decentralized stablecoin, trustless matter die. Uh, it creates a lending and borrowing market. So you now can earn interest on your stablecoin, on your Bitcoin, your Ethereum, but that wasn't really possible before this. And it creates a lot of, a lot of interesting things. Once there's a there's a money market that's happening in the space, and then once you have that money market that's earning you on some of these uh, tokens, it allows for other interesting add-ons from that. For example, you have pool together, which is a decentralized lottery that that no loss decentralized lottery in the sense that you can buy a lottery ticket without having a loss because you get refunded the amount that you purchase one week later because the money is put together and earn an interest on 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 compound. For example, I think we are still at the early days. But, but we should be seeing a lot more interesting things going around, especially with synthetics building up a lot for decentralized derivative tokens on the space. So I'm really excited for DeFi and, and we see how things go in the next few years, I would say. Well, that's great. We've got about three speakers to talk about DeFi, all, all the way through from things like flash loans, which are uh, mm -hmm. perplexing. So we've got um, Stanley from Arve coming on in the next couple of weeks and then a few others. It fascinates me, the DeFi side, because it's really scary as well, how much it can be exploited, how much interest there is. But um, yeah, some of the hacks are, are pretty astounding too. One more thing we wanted to ask as well is, sometimes crypto feels a bit like an echo chamber. Everyone has the same viewpoint at the same time. Is there anything out there at the moment which you know, the common masses believe that maybe, maybe you don't, Bobby? Something that's a little bit different apart from the crowd. I guess I'm part of the echo, cham echo chamber, right? <laughs> I don't know. I, it's really hard telling people about the, the, about the benefits of Bitcoin, especially those who are not in the, in the Bitcoin industry ecosystem. Like, I mean, but people find it hard to, to see value in it. And I don't know why like, people find it really hard. Like, like, it's not like you have to buy one Bitcoin, right? You can just buy like $100 worth of Bitcoin, 0.1 Bitcoin. But that mental block, in buying your first amount, no matter how small, uh, seems to 
to be restricting a lot of people from exploring the, the potential for Bitcoin. I think yeah, it's fair so, to say the UX still could be approved in a lot of cases. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, it's still really hard. And I'm pretty disappointed, to be honest, with Bitcoin's UX, like, especially with Lightning Network. Like, everyone's talking about how Lightning Network is a sidechain is going to improve the capacity for Bitcoin, drive down lower fees. But it's still really hard to open up a channel on the Lightning Network. Like, if I find it hard, like, I don't expect anyone else out there to, to be able to, to open it. A lightning channel and, and any of these things so mm-hmm. yeah ux definitely is something to to improve upon in the space uh i think as a whole like and the thing is i think because things are moving so fast that as a newcomer coming into the space like it just really this you just bombarded with so much literature you just don't know where to start you just get lost i suppose uh, and a lot of things that is happening like if, if a newcomer comes comes in like it's really hard to understand what's happening in d5 if you don't understand ethereum if you don't understand like how it came about all these things before that. So yeah, I, I don't know how we can solve it, but like that's the nature of this permissionless innovation, right? I mean, but at some point, people will find their own niche and, and pick up and, and hopefully something that will go, go more mainstream. Mm-hmm. And we've got one other big question for you. Mm-hmm. I know Ryan is very keen to hear the answer. Is the, the main one I think everyone's tuned Probably the most important question. The most important one. So Bobby, seeing as you to ask, what is your favourite curry? What does that look like for you? Well, I like the chicken tikka masala. You can't go wrong with the <laughs> national dish. <laughs> what are you kidding? Can you cop out like that? I'm not sure chicken tikka masala. I mean, you know. It's, it's, it, that's quite an <laughs> obvious option. And especially you live yeah. in KL, which is home to a lot of very good curries. Yeah. Having eaten my way through your capital. So there's a lot of curries, but like you can't really get tikka masala in KL. In the sense that because tikka masala is a North Indian dish, whereas most of the Indian dishes here, the curry dishes are the South Indian dishes. So, so right. I, well, when, when, when you come to London, we'll take you out for a tikka masala. Um, sounds good. So we've got a number of questions from, from attendees. So first question from Lawrence. Do you think the coin market cap acquisition will affect its traffic and performance negatively, uh, allowing more room for competition? Or will this assert and cement its position within the industry? And I guess chucking my own just views on that before you get in, I think personally that the acquisition for anyone new to crypto will 100% dominate new people to crypto because of their marketing power. I think it's more people that have been in the space a little bit longer might see past the glitzy marketing, but I'd love to hear your views on that. Yeah, so I think there's anyone in crypto will definitely view it negatively. They won't trust uh, CMC's data anymore. They're looking for someone more independent to serve their needs. But I think the single biggest thing that, that CMC has is that they have a very strong SEO presence. So they've, and, and that's probably what Binance is buying as well. If you search for any coin out there in the space, uh, yeah. their rankings usually come up top in Google. So how, how will they go around marketing these to newbies in the future? Uh, that's something to be seen. But that's, that's part of our job as well, right? Uh, at CoinGecko, we have to do our job to, to reach out to the new guys who have not been to the space yet. So yeah, it's something that we have to think about soon and, and, and work something on it. Mm-hmm. What metrics have proved the most popular during times of Corona? Um, not exactly sure what you mean by metrics that's proved most popular. But I think in general, like a lot of people are just uh, in, on CoinGecko, like most people are interested in pricing data. I guess it depends. Like most people who are into crypto, especially for CoinGecko, it's very retail centric and most people just want to check the price. Not so much even for volume. People just want to see price and market cap uh, and then they want to compare against the other coins and then see 
they just really in to be honest they just really want to see how much money they've made for the day and how rich they are and yeah. and and a lot of people i've spoken to many people in many different countries across when i was traveling and i asked them what does the average joe on the street think about crypto and a lot of them just think about it as a way to make fast money can't really blame them to some extent especially in in asian countries like i mean the, the us stock market is one of the best stock market to invest in because it's the most uh, dynamic market and you have a lot of very popular com- uh, companies in the space like facebook amazon google and so on but if you live in like for example malaysia or vietnam or china for example like trying to buy one of these stocks is not exactly the simplest thing to do it's it's, it's really hard to get a brokerage account you have to go to the bank get a kyc you know and then you can't just buy a fraction of a share like can't just buy a fraction of a share of amazon for example that costs i don't know a couple of thousand dollars so crypto to a large extent with this online kyc and all and an online purchase via bank transfer is significantly easier and lower barrier to entry for many of these generation y millennials to to get onto the crypto space mm-hmm. so I, I i don't that's that's why I, I would say that this crypto in general is more popular as an investment asset class for the young people in developing countries compared to the traditional stock market for them yeah so it's, let's we've got you have to let's try i'll go rogue here meet unmute um, here you go. Hey, uh, hey um sure i mean it was interesting to see like i, I was just more meant interested in like you know retailers are they interested mm-hmm. in like splitting up what kind of money like you know some chain analysis people like you know split up zero to hundred dollars and like and want to know like how much movement is in within that band and like, you know, some people might want to know from, from like 10,000 to 20,000, how much movement is in that bank? Is there, mm-hmm. is there that kind of like metric that's proving popular or like hodling metrics maybe? Like, you know, how long people hold for or things like that. I don't know if yeah. that's the kind of service you do. I don't know. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't track any of those metrics actually. Those are on-chain metrics. Uh, there are some of the guys that you mentioned, CoinMetrics, uh, Chainalysis and all that, they do have these metrics, but we don't, we don't track these things. So don't really have much to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. Thank you. Yeah. Borko is asking about watch trading on exchanges. Can you go any mm-hmm. deeper into that? I know we touched lightly on that earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what else can I talk about? So yeah, I think I think I mentioned a lot of these exchanges. They so they they, they fake their volume because a lot of aggregator sites they rank coin exchanges by volume so there's a very strong incentive to 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 appear at the top of coin gecko for example because then they get new users coming to the site and then they can sort of get new users in the legit on a cheat their users cheat their new users into signing up for their website i've i've seen like websites some exchanges where they claim that they have 150 million dollars of ltc btc uh, trading volume but when I look at a bit spray, it was a ninety percent bit spray, which is kind of ridiculous because you can't really trade with the spread of ninety percent. And all the trade that's happening on their volume was happening in between the bit and the us, the best bit and best us. It was all fake trading happening in in between that. I think exchanges are getting smarter these days. They are cheating, but not in a very obvious manner. So, but I, I guess the same. It's, it's the same thing. They all want to want to make them look bigger. Uh, I think before this call, we were just talking about COVID-19 and, and, and some of the stats that came up with a metaphor. Like, I think in the Western world, I think everywhere we know like, how, many, how many cases of COVID-19 is around and how many deaths. But we don't really know what's the actual number of cases that's coming out of China because China, as we know, has been sort of, I don't really know. 
what's the real number that that's how many real coronavirus patients and deaths are there in China exactly. So I don't know if it's a cultural thing or not, but it's the same thing that we are seeing for crypto crypto market as well. The, the, the Chinese crypto exchanges are well known to fake their number. Uh, the question is, we don't know whether they are faking 10% of their volume, 20% of their volume, 50% or up to 90% of their volume. So that's the hard part. Like we know everyone's cheating, but who's cheating more and who's cheating less? That's, that's, that's the harder part to tell, I would say. Cool. Uh, this is Borco. Hi. I, I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist. Uh, so I wanted to see like, if you have like a sports gambling book, sometimes they will take positions for themselves. So as far as like wash trading, do you, do we know how much they're doing it to inflate, let's say BTC volumes because they're investing, they're receiving actually a lot of Coinbase rewards from the miners. So that was just something I have no idea if it's happening and if it is, how much? Thank you. I don't really know how to answer that. I, I don't have the answer, to be honest, Boko. I can't. Sorry about it. No, yeah. no worries. You don't um, have any informants, Bobby, just, you know, sat there at the exchanges monitoring them. I think that's the next step for your authenticity. Get a few plants in. I think that's the, how you can potentially go to that next level. Yeah, I got a couple of ideas. I was discussing this in the office just now on what are the next steps that we can do to sort of combat this exchange, exchange uh, wash trading. I mean, it's, kind of, it's, it's really hard to combat them because, but what can we do to put more data and metric and increase transparency to these exchanges. Hopefully in the next couple of months, once we firm things out, we can put them on CoinGecko and, and, and improve the transparency for these exchanges. But at the end of the day, as you say, like, and that's, that's the same view that we have. It's kind of like a cat and mouse game. It's an SEO game. Like, these are all these guys trying to manipulate the rankings on, on CoinGecko and all these aggregator sites. And, and we sort of act like the Google, the gatekeeper to sort of decide what is best and what is not the best thing for the crypto community. It's a hard thing, but just try what we can do to, to do the best that we can to, to be as fair as we can and to be as reflective as we can to the best on what the real liquidity of the, the real state of the crypto market is. Yanis is asking, have you seen corporate-backed tokens coming through to public exchanges? Like yeah, I mean, there are a few. I just can't think of an example right now, but there was a few corporations that are interested in launching their own tokens. I think Ryan and I was talking before this, Air Asia, the biggest airline company in Malaysia was interested in, in launching their own tokens, like the Ryanair equivalent of, of Asia. That plan has sort of taken the back seat. I think a lot of corporations were looking at it from an ICO point of view. They were pretty surprised at how much money this ICO companies with just a pitch deck could raise 100 million, 500 million, $1 billion. And they got attracted with the possibility of raising money in the space. But when the ICO market evaporated, like a lot of this interest uh, has gone away as well. I think the biggest, I guess, if you ask me the most recent corporate backed token is, I guess the Reddit, Reddit tokens, where they introduced two community tokens in the cryptocurrency and Fortnite, Fortnite subreddit. That was interesting because it allows the community to, to, to regulate themselves and to reward loyalty of the users. If you remember Reddit back a few years ago, they wanted to do a much bigger plan. They wanted to decentralize their equity and give them out in terms of tokens to, to Reddit users who have collected points on Reddit. I think that obviously didn't go out, uh, go too well with the lawyers because that would be directly distributing securities to, to, to users. That sort of had to be scaled back. But I think it's just a matter of time before we start seeing more corporations issuing their tokens and mm -hmm. uh, tapping on the market because it's a big, very engaged market in the space. 
Can you talk about the spe- well, what specific data you provide and how that varies from CoinMarketCap? What, what are the other major data providers? And ask about latency and granularity. Yeah, so I think, I think a couple of things. So we have, we have more coins on CoinGecko. So some of these are not on CoinMarketCap, obviously. Uh, we have more exchanges. We were the first to track uh, the crypto derivatives markets uh, before CoinMarketCap as well. Uh, things like BitMEX, Finance Futures, and all the other derivative exchanges. We, we track a bunch of other uh, DeFi, DeFi, DeFi tokens as well. And lately, we started noticing these leverage ETFs, the leverage tokens like from FTX, from Binance, and a bunch of other places as well. In terms of granularity, oh yeah, before that, some of the other data that we have, we have order book dev. Uh, we have, at this point in time, we look at the mid price for each token uh, from each exchange, each trading pair, and then we take a 2% lower, lower range and 2% upper range and sort of see how much order, order book dev is, mm-hmm. is there for each pair. So we sort of know like if the coins, if the exchange say that they have like $100 million or $50 million or whatever high number of volume for that uh, trading pair. But if the order book death is only $10, then we know that obviously most of them is fake and we can sort of tell that this is not real, real number. So the order book, the 2% order book death is some sort of a metric that we put on CoinGecko that, that is not available in many places. The bin and ask rate that we put on CoinGecko is not available in many places as well. So it's an indicator to see how liquid or how real the volumes are for each exchange. Yeah, we have an API that we give out for free. Uh, a lot of people are using it. For example, MetaMask, uh, MyCrypto, MyEtherWallet, uh, Trezor Wallet. They're all using this to, to power their pricing information on these apps. Etherscan is using it as well. So, so that's, those are some of the things that we do. In terms of granularity, so I, I'd be first to admit we are retail-centric data aggregator. We are not enterprise-centric. So the data that we have, we are, we are querying the REST API for from each of the exchanges. So uh, it's, it's updated roughly once a minute on, on CoinGecko on a rolling basis from all these exchanges. So there, there is a slight delay uh, compared to WebSocket connections where you have like second tick level data on a second by second basis. Oh, no, perfect. Have any of the well-established exchange or token approaches to falsify data on our site? If so, how often does this happen? Interesting question. Yeah, that's a very good question actually. Yes, we do get that question quite frequently actually from many of these Chinese exchanges. They ask me, and they're very direct with me as well. Like the question that they ask me is, so Bobby, how do I increase my rank on CoinGecko? It's like <laughs> min, gold, Bitcoin. Well, I like where your mind goes, Ryan. Well, you know, I mean, if, if we're going down this route, we might as well ask the... the, the... No, the, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, like, if they want to bribe, they go all out to bribe. And then my answer is pretty standard to all these guys. Like, look, the metric, the methodology is there, it's set, and it's the same that is applied to all exchanges. So there's no, there's, there's no point talking about how you can manipulate the ranking because <laughs> even if you give me whatever that you just mentioned or anything else, like, you're not going to change it. Like, I'm not going to take your money or whatever that you're offering because those uh, trust score methodology that we have is set and, and you just have to read what we do and just improve your, 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 your exchange. Like if you, the, so I always tell these guys, the best way to get a better score on CoinGecko is to just grow real users on your exchange. Get real users trading real tokens, not some bots faking some data on it because if you try to fake it, at some point, you change our algorithm and then everything will go, go better as well. Okay. Can you share what is the most elaborate bribe you've had as a, as a last <laughs> parting question? That, we haven't really talked to the bribe section because okay. like, the, the answer is always very clear. Like, when they ask me directly, like, just, just 
tell me how to improve my rank and then the answer is exactly what I just said just now. Like that's the methodology. Yeah, okay. Like, yeah, there's no point talking about bribery. A lot of names of exchanges. Yeah. Can you share those? Yeah, yeah. Think, think Chinese exchanges. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Think of them. It's, very, it's a very common a thing like, yeah, to, to, oh. to receive this question from, from them. Yeah. COVID is quite a similar situation to crypto, right? Like in the sense that like you can't trust any data for, for COVID that's coming out from China just like how you can't trust any crypto data that's coming out from Chinese exchanges, right? You don't know what's real, what's not. But we can talk about that a little bit later. I mean, it's the same, right? It's just the Chinese way of doing things, like just exacerbating things. Um, the government wants to hide things that look bad and they want to make things that look good, like look even better, I suppose. So uh, it's just a cultural thing. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, like, I don't, it's just a Chinese thing. Like the COVID situation is probably good, a good metaphor explaining like fake crypto data in the States. Like, because the guys faking things out are really the Chinese exchanges. What do you mean spitting things out? Like wash trading and fake volume. Like they're More not... than any others? Yeah, I mean, I don't really see non-Chinese exchanges doing it too much. Like, but the Chinese exchanges, like they all, like the bulk of them, they're all faking their volume. So we just don't know. Like, are they, the question is, are they faking 10% of volume, 50%, 90%? We have no idea. Like, but we know like they're faking to some extent. That's a hard part of the main thing. Yeah. No, it's so, so tough. And so we're definitely digging into that a little bit more about some of the measures and stuff when we, when we go live. But it's funny because obviously also, you know, with the kind of the COVID stuff, crypto probably less so because there's still like 1% of people in the world who actually kind of get into crypto. But, you know, will it affect things like stock prices uh, within China and how they kind of recover? Because, you know, how, how, how much transparency and trust will there be? It'd be a really interesting 18 months, definitely. I think especially on that data conversation. Um, and the sort of the modeling of and the analytics around it. It's uh, yeah, super interesting area. <laughs> no, amazing, Bobby. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who joined and asked all of the questions. Thank you for joining us and sharing details. Yeah. We will take you out for a chicken tikka madras when you are next yeah. in London. All right, looking forward to it. But, uh, no, thank you very much. And thank you to everyone for joining. 